Hello and welcome to the Free Gift Podcast, originating from the Free Gift Gospel Mission. The Free Gift Gospel Mission is an independent Bible-believing church preaching Jesus Christ as man's only provision for redemption and salvation. We are located at 1025 Maple Street in Kingsport, Tennessee, on the corner of Maple and Brook. This podcast is a Christ-centered ministry reaching out to souls with the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us. Beautiful day to be in the house of the Lord. We're going to do something a little bit different today. Um, we're going to do a, a WWE for you. We're going to tag team this lesson today. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for this beautiful day you've given us. Lord, we thank you for this body of believers that's come out. Father, we're here for you. We come to worship and praise and honor you in spirit and in truth and in learning of what your word says, Lord. Today, Father, we need a special helping hand today to, to help us to get this message across, to strengthen everyone that's here and everyone that's within the sounds of our voices, Lord. And God, we just want Jesus Christ to be lifted up and praised here today, for he is worthy, and he is our Savior, and it's in his name, Lord, we do pray. Amen and amen. Amen. So, I mentioned last week about how the world just kind of throws everything into one big pot and calls it Christianity. So, today we're going to cover a particular a heretic and a heresy, and maybe I'm wrong, Lord knows I've been wrong a lot, but it seems as, as I've studied a lot of, of heretics and heresies, particularly uh, in the United States and in the Western Church, it seems quite often that the church, if we were in a line with God's Word, there would have been a lot more resistance uh, to these types of groups and outfits that's it's corrupted people and corrupted the Word of God. And it is part of our apologetic that when we're made aware of a heresy, to stand against it in a very active way. So we're going to cover a particular heresy today. I'm going to do the first part, which is just the history of the individual. And most heresies do start with an individual. And uh, then uh, Pastor Vern is going to take over and explain to you, it won't take long to figure out why this is a heresy, but more so than more than just a heresy, it's a cult, as most heresies will develop into. Uh, this one has been, has wrecked a lot of lives and is still wrecking lives. So we're going to talk about this heresy today. Like I said, we're going to do this a little bit different. We mentioned last week how the world lumps every sort of religious movement claiming it is Christian into a huge pot called Christianity. And this makes it extremely difficult for us when we're put in the same category as Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and pedophile priests and private jet-flying multi-millionaire pastors and the, oh, all the uh, everybody-is-okay religions. Because we don't just have to defend the Word of God from the true standpoint, but we have to defend what being a Christian actually is. So we're, today we're going to look at this group. They have an immense following, a cult-like following, and in truth, uh, it isn't just cult-like, 
it does meet the definition of a cult and is misleading tens of thousands and causing terrible damage to many. I'm going to cover the brief history of this organization by concentrating on one individual. His name is Thomas Kip McKean. First, here's the definition of what heresy is according to Webster's 1828 Dictionary. It is a fundamental error in religion or an error of opinion respecting some fundamental doctrine of religion. The scriptures being the standard of faith, any opinion that is repugnant to its doctrines. Heresy in law is an offense against Christianity, consisting in the denial of some of its essential doctrines, publicly avowed and obstinately maintained. Now, an error in religion can be a misunderstanding, but once revealed, if not corrected, then that person is a heretic. McKean was baptized in 1972 while a freshman at the University of Florida in Gainesville. And I use the term baptized because he was joined to a movement that believes you are saved when you are baptized. His mentor, Charles H. Chuck Lucas, was the evangelist of the 14th Street Church of Christ at the time. In 1976, McKean was hired as campus minister for the Heritage Chapel Church of Christ, located at Eastern Illinois University in Charleston, Illinois. McKean moved to the Boston area in 1979, and he began working in the Lexington Church of Christ. And he asked them to redefine their commitment to Christ and he introduced the use of discipling partners. And what this is, is you take one who was a little bit older and been in the church a little longer, and they have one or two or three individuals that they disciple. And that sounds like a good thing, but the way that McKean uh, set it up was not a good thing. This congregation grew rapidly, and they were renamed the Boston Church of Christ. And in the mid-80s, McKean became leader of both Boston and Crossroads movements, and he eventually split from mainstream churches of Christ to become the International Church of Christ. This movement was first recognized as an independent religious group in 1992 when John Vaughn, who was a church growth specialist at Fuller Theological Seminary, listed them as a separate entity from the uh, mainline Church of Christ. This I found very interesting. Time Magazine ran a full-page story on the movement in 1992 calling them one of the world's fastest-growing and most innovative bands of Bible thumpers. That they had grown into a global empire of 103 congregations from California to Cairo with total Sunday attendance of 50,000. The reason I find it very interesting is that a secular magazine called them out when it was the job of the church to call them out. The Time article raised concerns about the authoritarian leadership, the pressure placed on members, and whether the group should be considered a cult. So secular organization brought up this to everyone's attention. A formal break was made from the mainline Churches of Christ in 1993 when the movement organized under the name International Churches of Christ, the ICOC. In 1990, the McKeans moved to Los Angeles to lead the Los Angeles International Church of Christ, 
where they presided through the 1990s. Beginning in the late 90s, McKean's moral authority as the leader of the movement came into question. Not his only, but a lot of the church leaders. There was uh, stories of prostitution, stories of mismanagement of money, stories of uh, authoritarian abuse, verbal abuse. A lot of things that come out. <clears throat> Expectations uh, for continued growth and the pressure to sacrifice financially to support missionary efforts took its toll. At the same time, realization was growing in the rest of the leadership that the accumulated cost of his leadership, of McKean's leadership style, and the associated advantages were outweighing the benefits. In other words, he was more trouble than he was worth. In 2001, McKean was asked by a group of long-standing elders in the ICOC to take a sabbatical from overall leadership of the ICOC. One year later, in November of 2002, uh, McKean announced his resignations from the roles as world missions evangelist and leader of the world sector leaders. After a period leading an ICOC congregation in Portland, Oregon, he started a new church separated from the ICOC, and this movement was named the International Christian Church by him. Since 2006, the congregations under McKeon's leadership have been called the International Christian Church. In April 2007, McKean and his wife Elena left the Portland International Christian Church to plant the City of Angels International Christian Church in Los Angeles. He took from the Portland Church a missions contribution of over $120,000, 10 of the 12 full and part-time ministry staff, 42 leaders and members of the Portland Church, and then 40 more Portland members were pressured to move to L.A. as well. This significantly weakened the Portland Church, and when their recruitment stats dropped, the members of the Portland Church began to receive accusations that they were lukewarm, and the Portland members were harassed with messages and calls telling them to move to L.A. And to kind of give you an idea of what kind of harassment we're talking about, the typical leadership harassment, we talk about the, uh, the discipling. The pressure was so great upon the disciples to raise contributions and bring people in and join to the church because they were interested in numbers, right? Because that's where the money comes from. The pressure was so great that there's no small number of these disciples who have been arrested for stealing. Stealing from retail stores to take things and pawn them to come up with enough money to meet the requirements placed upon them by their disciple or their leader. They were never allowed to contribute less than they did the last time. In fact, they were always encouraged to contribute more because Whatever that contribution was, they determined that to be an oath to God. And so they were required to contribute more each and every time. And this is college kids, okay? Many of them not working. A lot of them quit college to go to this college that they've set up, which is not accredited. Yes, sir? Did they use a regular Bible to determine all that stuff from? Well, clearly they couldn't have used any Bible to determine all this stuff. They have twisted scriptures and, and manipulated scriptures uh, to suit their own needs. And McKean is a, 
guess what we should call him is he's a narcissist, full-time narcissist. Uh, he is domineering and tyrannical in his rule over the church. But he's made all these, and this is typical of his, his M.O., is he will persecute and uh, embarrass and do anything he can to strike down anybody that stands against him. And the Portland church was no exception. Eventually, the Portland church would break from the ICC and rejoin itself to the ICOC. Here's some of the things that are required of ICC members. Those in the occult are instructed to imitate their discipler who is above them, which they do even in voice inflection, the way they talk, even in the way they dress, even in the way they wear their hair. They're to imitate the one who's discipling them. They must submit to their leaders as one would submit to God. And this includes what they wear, what they eat, who they date, who they can marry. In virtually every aspect of their life, they must submit to their leader. According to the ICC, their leader, Kit McKean, is, quote, the greatest living treasure that God has given the kingdom on the face of the earth today. Now, I know Pastor Vern holds that title. So... <laughs> But apparently humility is not one of his traits. And this place is getting stronger. They're growing in numbers. They're growing in power. And they need to be spoke against by the church. So this pretty much, and this is just hitting the high spots. A lot of this you can find. Here's what I found interesting is when you start doing research on this outfit online, you'll find a lot of what I would call company speak. A lot of the websites and stuff will just glorify this church. You have to dig a little bit to get the dirt to find out what's really going on. It's kind of unusual because most other heretical churches, it's pretty easy to find out what's wrong. For whatever reason, this one, I guess maybe they've got ties, uh, powerful ties somewhere, but it's, it's difficult. To find all the information. And like I said, this is just barely hitting the high spots. Pastor Vernon is going to address the heretical aspects and why it is a cult. So I defer now to you, brother. Thank you, brother. As Brother Quentin uh, stated, this is a spinoff of the mainline Church of Christ, uh, which we have some of those locally on television and radio. And one thing that they like to state is that if you want to be a part of the church that's spoken of in the Bible, then you have to be a part of our church, the Church of Christ, the church that's mentioned in the Bible. Every other church is a man-made church, and it's a false church, according to them. Well, it's true that the Bible does speak of the church of Christ, but it's not necessarily true that because a group claims the title of church of Christ, that they are the church of Christ that's spoken of in the Bible. For example, Westboro claims to be a Baptist church, but I don't necessarily care to claim them as Baptist. I don't know about you all. One aspect, I'm going to cover three of these. 
And I don't have any notes this morning, just uh, going from off the top of my head based on the study that I've done recently, that makes this group a cult is what uh, Vincent Salyer called uh, arrogant exclusivity. And Vincent Salyer has a good presentation on Sermon Audio about this. And basically what this is, is, hey, it's us. We're the only true church. This, this, is, this is always going to be the mark of a cult. So please keep this in mind. We are the only true church. And if you want to be in God's family, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to be saved, you have to be a part of our church. Any other church is a false church. Any other church is a man-made church. All other churches are wrong, and we're the only ones who are right. Arrogant exclusivity. As a matter of fact, they will tell you that to leave the International Church of Christ is to leave God. Now, let me just go ahead and say this. If anybody, whether it's me or anybody else, ever gets up in this place and says... In order for you to be saved or to make it to heaven or to be in the family of God, you have to be a member of the free gift gospel mission. You can chalk it up that we have become a cult and you need to get out of here. Somebody ought to say amen right there. At that point, we have officially became a cult. We don't believe that. We believe that our congregation, this church, this local assembly, is a biblical New Testament church that is one of many congregations that is a part of the body of Christ. I believe that there are uh, Presbyterians who are a part of the body of Christ. Uh, you know, Baptist, Methodist, uh, you know, some of these, uh, and again, sometimes you have to unpack this a little bit. There are some Methodist and some Presbyterians uh, that have liberaled so far out of the Bible that they probably, now we could classify them as cults, but not everyone. There are people from other denominations and other churches that are saved, and they are our brothers and sisters in the Lord. I remember a couple of years ago, and this is just an example that comes to my mind, we went down to ETSU and we were doing some open-air preaching, and on one instance... I took with me uh, Brother Brandon Farron. Brother Brandon Farron is the associate pastor of Strong Tower Baptist Church. And uh, I, we were handing out tracts and we were trying to engage the students there. And if someone had approached Brother Brandon, and the same thing goes for Brother Damon Joseph, who's the pastor of Cross Bible Church here in Kingsport. I've, we've done the same thing together. If we go out together, because these are my brothers in the Lord, if we go out together and we hand out tracts or uh, engage some, some student and one of them shows up at Strong Tower Baptist Church, I'm going to rejoice. Yeah. Amen? If I go out with uh, Pastor Damon to engage in evangelism and to do some open-air preaching and someone that hears the preaching or someone that receives a tract that we engage with, if they show up at Pastor Damon's church, Christ Bible Church, I'm going to rejoice. So it's that arrogant exclusivity. We're the only ones. Everyone else is lost. Everyone else is wrong. That's a, that's a mark of a cult. One. Secondly, is their belief in baptismal regeneration. 
that you can't get to heaven unless you've been baptized in water. This is a mark of a cult. And uh, very simply, that's not what the Bible teaches. And of course, now they have their go-to verses. They have their uh, proof text. And of course, there's several of them. We don't have time to go into all of them this morning. Now, some of these are mentioned, that, that little book that I wrote in 2013. If you don't have a copy of that and you'd like to have a copy of that, let me know and I'll try to give you one because we covered several proof texts for baptismal regeneration in that book and uh, what's also called baptismal remission. And, and listen, this church and any Bible-believing church believes that baptism is very important. Baptism is an outward expression of inward faith. That's what the Bible teaches. If it was anything else, then we would have to ask the question, well, if Jesus is my Savior and I have to be baptized to be saved, then why didn't Jesus baptize anyone? Why did the Apostle Paul say, well, I'm glad that I didn't baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius? So this belief in baptismal regeneration is the mark of a cult. And of course, they'll go to Acts 2.38, if you'd like to open your Bible to Acts 2.38, we'll look at Acts 2.38 together, and then we'll go to Mark chapter 16, and I'm going to try to hurry here, but Acts 2.38, here's what it says. It says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, just about every... Uh, every cult, uh, every heretical group that I've ever encountered that believes you have to be baptized to be saved is going to use Acts 2.38. The whole argument seems to hinge on that word for. That word for, that little three-letter word there in verse number 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for. It all, it really hinges on that word for which in the Greek, in the original language that the Bible was written in, is the Greek preposition ice. Ice is mentioned over 1,750 times in the New Testament, and it is what we call a causal preposition. That means that it does not carry the same meaning throughout the Bible in all of its usages. You have to let the context of the scripture determine the meaning. That's that's not me saying that. That is a basic fundamental principle of biblical interpretation. That if if we don't apply that, it doesn't matter who you are, you're likely going to spiral out of the truth of the Bible. And of course, they will attribute to that word for, that Greek preposition ice, the meaning in order to obtain. You have to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ in order to obtain the remission of sins. The problem is to attribute the meaning in order to obtain the remission of sins by being baptized in Acts 2.38. You have to completely overlook not only the immediate context of the scripture, but you have to use that to fly in the face of all of the other verses in the Bible Verses need to be harmonized. You can't take one verse and proof text it and then let that override every other verse in the Bible. I've used the analogy before because this is the way a lot of people will try to argue for their point is they'll 
uh, one party will pull a verse here, another party will pull a verse here, and they'll throw their verses in the ring and let them slug it out, and whichever verse comes out on top, that person wins. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. This verse has to be harmonized. And when this verse is taken in context, there's nothing about Acts 2.38 that would lead us to believe that that word for, which is a causal Greek preposition, would mean in order to obtain the remission of sins by being baptized in this verse. Now in the English, it's really easy. I could say, well, I'm going to take an aspirin for a headache. Does that mean I'm going to take an aspirin in order to obtain a headache? Or am I going to take an aspirin because I already have a headache? You see, we are to repent and be baptized because we've already received the remission of sins. And that is, just in a nutshell, a, a quick, I, I could go on and on about that, but uh, that is just in a nutshell, a little uh, address on Acts 2.38. Let me flip over quickly to Mark 16 because this is another proof text. Now, now listen, uh, again, I want to stress we are not diminishing baptism here at this church. Baptism is very important. We believe that you should be baptized if you're saved. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. But we just simply believe that, hey, if you die in a car wreck on your way to the, to the lake, you're not going to die and go to hell because of that. Because your baptism is not what... Being joined to the water is not what saves you. Being joined to Christ is what saves you. Amen. Mark 16.16 16 is another verse that's commonly used to, to push the baptismal regeneration. And it says here, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Well, very simply here, because we're, we're running out of time and I've got some more things that I want to cover. What is the qualifier in Mark 16, 16 is not baptism. But what is the qualifier is believing. That's the qualifier. Because it goes on uh, and it says, He that believeth not shall be damned. It, do, it doesn't say, He that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned. It just simply says, he that believeth not shall be damned. So, that first part of Mark 16, 16, uh, you know, it, it, would be like, it would be like me saying this, and, and this is just kind of a loose analogy, uh, but it, it, it illustrates the point that the qualifier there is not being baptized to be saved, but the qualifier is believing. What if I said this morning, he that believeth and drove to church this morning shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Does that mean that everybody who walked to church this morning is going to hell? No. Because walking or driving is not the qualifier. It's believing that is the qualifier. You have to believe to be saved. Baptism was the qualifier, even if it said, for him that believeth and is not baptized is damned. Mm-hmm. So believing is the qualifier in Mark 16, 16. There's other verses. I'm not going to go into those this morning. That's two points. I've got one more I'm going to cover very quickly. Uh, the first one was the arrogant exclusivity. We're the only ones. Everybody else is wrong. That's a cult. This belief in baptismal regeneration. 
When the Bible says clearly that it's not by works, your salvation is not by what you do, and it's not by what, which words come out of the preacher's mouth when you're baptized. That makes the preacher your Savior and not Jesus. Paul wrote it down plainly in Ephesians chapter 2. We are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The third one is, and Brother Quentin's already hit on this a little bit, is just simply uh, the way that they do their, their extreme form of discipleship. Their extreme form of discipleship. And this stems from Kip McKeon reading a book uh, that otherwise was actually a pretty good book. And he took it and he mis misinterpreted it and he misconstrued it. And it's called The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. And that was actually one of the first books that I read when the Lord saved me. And that's actually not really, a, it's not a bad book. But he took The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman and misconstrued it to come up with some of their strategies for discipleship today that Brother Quentin's already hit on. The extreme control of their members. Your discipleship partner will more than likely call you at least once a day. And I've heard stories uh, of people who have come out of this movement that have, have said that they would call with a checklist and run down the checklist of sin. And uh, it'd be like me, Brother Richie, calling you on the phone. Brother Richie, have you lied today? Brother Richie, have you, have you cheated anyone today? Have you, have you defrauded anyone today? Can you imagine that? The Bible says in James chapter 5 that we are to confess our faults one to another. We are, we are to do that. We are to confess our faults one to another. One to another. But that discipleship partner, who are they confessing their faults to? They're set up here on a high level of authority that nobody was ever intended to have when we consider what the Bible actually says about discipleship. You are to adhere to the preferences of your discipleship partner to even very, not only doctrinal matters, but even preferential matters, such as the color of, of clothing that you wear on any, on, on any given day. Now, if, if, if me or Brother Quentin ever call you and, and tell you on the phone on a Saturday night, now, now Donna, you need to wear a red dress to church tomorrow, we've become a cult. You need to get out of here at that point. If we ever tell you that we're the only way, you, you better get out of here. We become a cult. If I ever tell you that you have to be baptized in water to be saved. Now, I might recommend that you need to be baptized because that's what the Bible says. Baptism is for believers. We follow the Lord in, in baptism. He was baptized. Jesus Christ was not baptized to remit his sins because he had no sin. We, we follow the Lord in believers' baptism. He was baptized to fulfill all righteousness, and we are to follow Him in baptism. But baptism does not save you. So these are just some of the uh, points that make this group a cult that we need to watch out for. And let me say this, and I'm going to close. We need to pray for them 
And if you are engaged or if you come across anyone from the International Church of Christ, show love, be resilient, have some resolve from the Scripture, because a strong Christian with some resolve in the Scripture who shows love, that will do more to break down that cult fabric in that person's life than anything else that we could possibly do. So that's what I would encourage you to do. Show love, know the Bible, and be resolved to stand on the truth. And peradventure, perhaps God would save them and pull them out of that group and place them in a true Bible-believing church. It is, it is a very strong... I even read one article where they had administered a personality test and the congregation of that particular church answered identically... 95% of the questions, meaning that their personality had been conformed to answer specific questions in a specific way. And that's Jim Jones, Waco, Texas kind of cult-like behavior. Yes. So it is, it's a very strong evidence. Amen. We, just maybe a minute or so here before we need to wind it down. Anybody have any questions or comments? If you, if you think of something later you'd like to ask us about, feel free to do so. God bless you all. Uh, we're very glad you're here today. Our worship service starts at 11 o'clock. Let's praise God today and let's rejoice and be glad for He alone is worthy of all praise. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for this Sunday school hour this morning. Be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Free Gift Podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit us online at www.freegiftgospelmission.wordpress.com. Our service times are as follows. Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. Morning worship is at 11 a.m. Sunday evening at 6 p.m. And Wednesday night at 7 p.m. We are located at 1025 Maple Street in Kingsport, Tennessee, and we welcome all visitors. If you would like to correspond via email, you may email me, Pastor Vern Hall, at freegiftgospelmission at yahoo.com, or you may write to Pastor Vern Hall, 3301 Martin Farm Road, Johnson City, Tennessee, 37601. We look forward to seeing you at the Free Gift Gospel Mission, where the gospel is preached and the Lord Jesus Christ is praised. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.